0: I'm told that in the early days of IMS... been here 40 years now. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Um, in the early days of IMS, they got mail addressed to some interesting... Uh, using that acronym in different ways. And uh, one of those was... it was addressed to the instant Meditation Society. (laughs) And, uh, you know, that... (laughs) That uh, reflects the kind of culture we have. We we expect instant gratification or, uh, you know, at least results after two weeks, right? I mean, here we... (laughs) (laughs) We've been here for two weeks and... What do we have to show for it? Well... We've been sitting and walking, and, and so uh, tonight I'd like to talk about the quality of patience. <laughs> One of the ways in to explore patience is um, to, to look at the different ways we get impatient. There's different ways we get impatient and that can help us to understand some of the different qualities of patience. one of the ways we get impatient that I think is very familiar to us from perhaps the time we were uh, children is that we um, get impatient waiting for something good to happen in the future. You know, birthdays, holidays, end of school. I remember just, you know, kind of, you know, being so excited about certain things coming. And so that quality of impatience is there, from a very young age, that kind of expectation or anticipation of something good to happen in the future. You know, we think, when we start to look at this, and this is what our practice asks of us, to look at these qualities, to look at what happens in our minds. You know, think about how you feel when you get impatient in this way. You know, there's often some excitement some kind of leaning towards, a kind of a sense of how great it's going to be when that happens. That's how I was when I was a kid anyway, you know. And um, that kind of uh, mind state is, it's believing, when it's believing that something in the future is going to be better than something now. You know, that we're, uh, there's some future configuration of experience that will be so wonderful and i just want to point you back to something bonte said yesterday i think about how all that's happening is just these six sense experiences now that's all that's happening and yet we are excited waiting for some configuration of six sense experience that's what's happening when we get impatient like that. So think about how you feel. There is the excitement. And if, if there's the kind of projection into the future, we're really, you know, are we're in our thoughts, thinking about how great it's going to be. We're anticipating future pleasantness. Feeling happy about future pleasantness and completely ignoring the fact that right now, actually, it's kind of agitating. You know, there's a restlessness in experience when we have this kind of impatience. I mean, I could hardly sit still when I was a kid waiting for my birthday. And so this kind of impatience, this kind of impatience for something good to happen, comes into our practice. We get impatient for some good meditative experience. Perhaps we've had a taste of calm or ease or peace. And having had that taste, we want it back, we want more of it. There's an impatient quality, it's like... There's this experience that's happening now, but it's kind of like, yeah, 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 I know I'm supposed to be paying attention to aversion and stuff, but what's really, what's really important or where the action really is is where it's really calm. And so we get impatient for that experience to come. I think Steve Armstrong coined the phrase, there's nothing like a good sit to ruin your day. <laughs> no, you, you, ha- you have a good sit and then... <laughs> you spend the rest of the day wanting it back and so what do we do here you know what's a, what's a helpful thing to do in this kind of situation notice the impatience actually this is a helpful strategy if we want to cultivate a wholesome quality whatever the wholesome quality is whether in, whether patience or love or Um, happiness or kindness we can look at what gets in its way and so to cultivate patience we can get familiar with impatience so what does it mean to notice impatience to notice in particular this kind of impatience of leaning into experience to hoping for something good to happen The first thing is just to check in, what's this? What is this experience of impatience? It probably has an e- experience in the body, there's probably some, maybe some agitation. But there's often a lot in the world of thoughts and mind states that, is, that, are, that are going on around impatience. On one retreat, um, I experienced was my first three-month course. I remember doing walking meditation and I kept having all these thoughts about talking to my teacher. Any of you had that experience? <laughs> um, and uh, what I realized that in those thoughts there was this impatience for um, something good to happen. I was having Uh, a wanting for, an impatience for, a wanting for insight into impermanence. And this was manifesting by imagining I was having conversations with my teacher, telling him that I was having all these amazing insights into impermanence. And as I explored this, you know, as I looked at this whole process of what was going on there, I saw that what I really wanted was to tell somebody I had had these great experiences because I had no clue what an insight into impermanence looked like. I didn't even know what I wanted. This is very interesting, actually. This happens to us in practice. When we're impatient for results, often we're impatient for some idea because often we have no clue what it is that we want, what the result is, what we're hoping for, freedom, nibbana. We have no clue what that is. And yet we're impatient for it. So when we look at that, when we look at the actual experience of impatience, we see it's an idea. And in this case, what I saw was an idea about wanting to look good to my teacher. So investigating, what is this experience of impatience? Thanissaro Bhikkhu talks about um, patience, this kind of patience of something that, we're expecting or hoping to happen in the future as being the patience of a farmer. I'll read this uh, little section to you from one of his books. One of his teachers, he says, Ajantante talks about being patient like farmers. Those of you who've never lived on a farm, even if you know, even you know that farmers don't have an easy life, They work hard, especially in Thailand, where they don't have a lot of labor-saving devices. When the time comes to do what needs to be done, they have to do it quickly. In other words, when the rice grains are ready, you have to harvest them quickly before the mice get to them. You have to take care of them quickly, winnow the rice quickly before any late-season rain comes to spoil it. So it's not a matter of being slow or casual, this patience of a farmer. The patience of a farmer is the sort that knows you can't plant rice today and expect to have the grains ripen tomorrow. It's going to take time, and during that time it's going to require work. And so patience, and using this story, this example, patience doesn't mean passivity or slowness. There's an active quality to patience. Actually, I think sometimes we think about patience being kind of sitting back and not doing. I mean, that's, that's an idea we sometimes have about what patience is. It's like, yeah, whatever. But the patience of our practice is a patience that is engaged. It's got a persistence to it. So this brings in one of the qualities of patience this gentle, persistent connecting with experience. So this aspect of patience points to perseverance, diligence, steadiness, steadfastness. And one of the keys with this aspect of patience is patience with results. Continuing our practice even if it seems like nothing is happening. Sometimes in practice, things kind of feel like they're just kind of in a a flat place or an even place. And it doesn't seem like much is happening. And in those times we can feel like, what am I doing wrong? Or, you know, it's like, nothing seems particularly wrong, but it's like, our instant gratification you know where's the result sometimes results ripen slowly we think about the way fruit ripens on a tree that the the apples are coming into season right now and you know the apples are hanging on the tree and they may look really ripe They look nice and red on the outside and yet there's an imperceptible sweetening that happens on the inside and day by day you may not notice any change that happens in that apple as you look at it day to day but you may reach and try to pull on it and it it doesn't pull it doesn't release from the tree very easily and so you know it's not ready it's not ripe. And day by day, you don't see much change, but there is an imperceptible sweetening happening. And one day you go up and reach and the apple releases easily in your hand. And practice of patience can have this quality where it seems like nothing is happening, and yet no moment of mindfulness is wasted. There can be these kind of subtle shifts, subtle meetings, these meetings of experience that uh, gently allow the connection to become more and more clear. And at some point the mind releases and understands something it didn't understand. But it's not just about that one moment. It's not just about the moment when the apple falls into your hand. It's also about all those many, many, many moments of sweetening. And so, in our practice, often we need to cultivate this quality of patience with that imperceptible sweetening. The imperceptible sense of understanding that's growing that will allow for release sometime at some point. Kamala Masters has a story uh, from her own practice around this and in talking to her teacher about this place in practice of just feeling like not much was happening. She went and talked to her teacher about it and Munindra, Munindra Ji used this analogy of the fruit and he said, when the fruit is ripe, it will fall from the tree. I heard her say that and just used that over and over and over again. It it, It became kind of a little mantra for me. When the fruit is ripe, it will fall from the tree. A reminder that, you know, I don't have control over when the ripening happens. All we can do really is meet experience, moment after moment. And when the time is ripe, when the conditions are ripe, understanding will happen. As we persist in our practice, with this gentle persistence. Sometimes it seems that little more than uh, will keeps us from coming back. You know, that kind of place where it feels like not much is happening. We need to apply that persistence. Connect. Just meet this moment, this moment, and this moment. But over time, we do start to experience benefits in small ways and in large ways. In, in the, the meetings, you've all talked about just even small ways of seeing how the mind can meet something challenging and be okay about it. There's a, a little bit of a shift of perspective around our usual relationship to the hindrances. Or we actually recognize happiness and feel it and know it instead of grasping after it. This was one of my patterns, actually. I talked myself, at one point I realized I talked myself out of happiness. Happiness arose and rather than allowing myself to feel it, I began telling myself things along the lines of well yes I'm happy now but you know this isn't going to last and you know besides that I know most of the time I'm miserable and or or if I was kind of connecting with the happiness I might you know get lost in a story about how do I keep this happiness instead of really just opening to it here and now. Sometimes we need patience to open to beautiful things too. Sometimes we do. So these shifts, these little shifts. I remember one time I was sitting at my, my uh, table. I think I was having a, a meal. And this was not during a retreat. It was, it was during daily life. But it, it, it might have been soon after a retreat. And some wave of joy arose in my experience. And um, it was a little bit overwhelming. In my mind, the first thing my mind said was, whoa, I can't handle this, and it tried to shut it down. And then some wisdom in my mind said, it's okay, it's impermanent, it won't last. <laughs> that actually let me feel it more fully. And then it kind of crested and got very strong, and then on the other side of that, it just was this kind of pervading happiness. And so even patience with things, with wholesome states sometimes, allowing ourselves to truly open to these beautiful states. So it's not just about patience with hindrances. And these shifts, these little shifts over, over time, they begin to encourage us, and they begin to um, uh, encourage the persistence. Partly because we are experiencing the benefit of the practice. We're experiencing how the practice works. And this generates confidence, it generates faith... It sometimes can generate a sense of curiosity. All of these qualities then in turn support more patience. And so it becomes a kind of a a positive feedback loop. Sometimes in this place of not seeming like much is happening Another analogy that can be helpful is that we're our job. Our job here is to meet our experience as if we were a naturalist looking at something new in our environment. And just imagine this. This, this uh, image has caught my. Interest. Saito Utajaniya used this example, I believe. He said, you know, think about the first people that went out under the stars at night, you know, our way ancestors way long ago. The first ones that actually looked up and had a cognizance of the stars in the night sky. There wasn't anybody to tell them what was happening up there. They just would go out each night and look at the sky and over time they might they, they began to see patterns in the sky and notice perhaps over a very long stretch of time that certain of those patterns were present in the spring and certain of them pl- present in the fall or certain present at certain times of year and others present at other times of year certain areas of the planet not having a spring and fall So just kind of noticing the patterns. Nobody there to tell them about it. I mean, now we've got all these books. You know, you you can go out and you can find out, okay, these stars, they're up at certain times of the year, and these stars, they're up at another time of the year. The North Star in the North Hemisphere, you can always find that one and orient from there. So we have people to tell us these things. Our ancestors didn't have that. What did they do? They went out and they looked at the sky over and over and over again. Began to understand something about it through the repeated observation, the repeated meeting of experience. Our practice is like that. We explore our experience as naturalists with no need to overlay a uh, an idea about what is there but more a curiosity about what is here. The patterns begin to reveal themselves. We don't have to... You know, that, that's how insight works in a way that the patterns of our minds begin to show themselves just through the willingness to meet experience over and over again. Another kind of impatience that may be familiar to you is the impatience to get rid of or get over or get past something that is unpleasant. This is an impatience connected to aversion to what's happening in the present moment. For me, this was a big part of my life, this aspect of impatience. And uh, one of the early places it really showed up was at the, toward the end of my first three-month course, like two weeks before that retreat was over, there was so much impatience. It's like transitions. I saw that transitions were very uncomfortable for me and I was really impatient to have that transition over with anticipating so there's the unpleasantness a little bit about the uncertainty of the transition but also there was the idea of transition and I don't like that idea get me out of here you know it's like it was very painful for those last two weeks actually I got to have a little um wake-up call because I was so impatient to get home and some of it was kind of like impatient about how much have I changed you know like how 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 great is it going to be when I get home and you know what are my friends going to think or you know so there was some of that kind of impatience too there was the impatience about the unpleasantness of the transition but there was also the impatience of kind of checking out what I'd learned here on retreat. And at some point, like in the last two weeks of retreat, I got a very sore throat and I looked in my throat and there were these very odd-looking things in my throat. And so I realized I should go to the to the clinic and made an appointment and went to the clinic and sat at the clinic and there was all this music playing at the clinic and there were people bustling around and like, you know. And I looked around and it's like, this is what I was impatient for. (laughs) This is life outside, you know, this is what I was waiting for. It's like, reality check, this (laughs) this isn't like so great. (laughs) Again, it's that, it's just six-sense spaces, just the six-sense spaces happening over and over again. So, So we are impatient at times about something unpleasant in experience now. Now, we can see this kind of impatience in small ways, even. Like just, um, you know, the impatience perhaps standing in the lunch line, waiting for the people ahead of you to make their salad or cut their fruit. Or the impatience as you're um, opening a drawer in your room, and it sticks a little bit, just a little flash of... Uh, Sometimes in small ways, we can get familiar with this quality of impatience about unpleasantness. At one point in my practice, I recognized that impatience was a a big mind state for me. It happened a lot. And mostly what I saw were the big impatience things, like the the impatience about the end of a retreat or the impatience about a, a major transition in my life. The impatience to know something, you know, so that I didn't have to be in this in-between ground. And so I decided to make a study of impatience. And I began just noticing when impatience came up in my life, in this way of exploring patience by recognizing, getting familiar with its opposite quality. And it was everywhere, I was impatient when I was brushing my teeth. I was impatient when my shower ended. Impatient to finish the the drying off and get on to the next thing. And, And I began to see that it was very helpful to not just brush by those small impatience. I mean, sometimes when little impatiences flare up, little aversions, little things like that, We kind of think, oh yeah, that's not a big deal. You know, we can kind of overlay something on top of it and kind of like I was talking about the other day, you know, oh, it's so lovely taking a walk, you know. Instead of being impatient for the walk to be for an end and knowing the impatience and knowing the not wanting to be walking. Oh, walking is so lovely, you know. We can kind of overlay and not clearly recognize that in truth, there is this little flash of impatience. This little flash. And so it's, it it's can be really helpful to get familiar with those little flashes. The skill that you develop in meeting those small ones supports you in being able to meet the pattern when it gets large. Because the pattern in the small is very similar to the pattern in the large. It's just not quite grown so much yet. And so there's a lot you can understand by looking at it in the small. It's not, it's not so hard to be with when it's small. So you can learn a lot about that. Sometimes in practice, small things can seem very large. We have a name for this phenomenon, we call it yogi mind. It, uh, It seems to happen as we settle in retreat, you know, we get more settled, more calm, and then small things become so huge, like the way somebody uses their knife, it like becomes disastrous or the the classic, the classic story of Yogi Mind. There's a a retreat that happens in the desert in California each year, and this must have happened in the 80s sometime, this story, but somebody apparently left a note for the managers asking if they would mind calling um, the airport to get them to reroute the planes flying overhead so that they They obviously didn't know there was a retreat center happening there and they could clearly reroute the plane so that it wouldn't disturb the yogis when the planes flew overhead. This is an example of yogi mind. You know, something small becoming like, this needs to be fixed now. This is about the time in the retreat when this kind of thing happens. (laughs) So you might be noticing things like this where it seems like, you you may be recognizing, wow, the reaction is out of proportion to the actual event. So if you're noticing something like that, it's very natural, it's part of the process, and just recognize, okay, yogi mind is happening. Yogi mind is happening. Just don't believe. (laughs) You don't need to believe the story that this is This is a major problem. We need to ask the managers to do something about this. So check in, check into what's actually happening. Sometimes there may be a little bit of uh, over response, overreactivity. So just remind yourself of Yogi mind and see if you can be patient with the small things, partly by reminding yourself. That they are small. But not repressing the response. I mean, that's not what this is about. There can be a big response. Know that response, but remind yourself of what's actually happening. So this kind of impatience of being impatient when something unpleasant is happening. We can also see this in larger ways around issues of injustice. Things that actually need to change in this society. And there's two, there two sides I'd like to explore around Patience in this kind of scenario. One aspect is... When we think about this kind of patience, it's pointing to qualities of forbearance, tolerance, patience under insult. How do we meet experience... With a patient mind, and so one side of the exploration is um, to look at when is it skillful to act, and when is it skillful to refrain from acting. So, for instance, if there's a a sense of you know something is wrong or off, and there's a real anger aversion about it, a sense of um, hatred in the mind, it may be helpful to explore that in the mind and not allow the hatred to leak out into experience. So perhaps somebody says something to you and you realize that it's not fair or it's unjust, and and you have a kind of a flaring of and maybe there's a a recognition of the aversion or ill will in the mind at that point and so a kind of a settle back okay i'm not you know this this isn't about repressing the feeling and so there there may be an exploration of what is it like to fully allow that feeling of, that's wrong. Person, that person is behaving unskillfully and is causing harm. And I'm really mad about that. To not repress all of that. But also to explore not letting it leak out into our actions. Perhaps taking a pause before responding. So that's one side. That's one side of the exploration. Looking at, exploring, is this the time for action? Or is this the time to explore inwardly what's happening? The other side of this, or another side, there's probably more sides to this than I'm bringing up right now. Um, Another side to this is that there's times when definitely action is called for. And this, the practice itself, patience itself doesn't necessarily mean passivity. It doesn't mean non-action. Gandhi had a a beautiful phrase for his... uh, philosophy of engagement in with the repressive regime of british rule in india he had a philosophy of non-passive non-violent non-cooperation so in this case my my exploration or my understanding is that The tolerance or the forbearance here isn't about saying that it's okay that this injustice is happening. It's about forbearance with the process of change, taking action and understanding, knowing that sometimes action doesn't create, it doesn't create change immediately. And so there's a kind of a forbearance in the process of change. Martin Luther King has had a beautiful way of expressing this, and he called it a philosophy of love. This is from his famous 1963 speech, There's another thing about this philosophy, this philosophy of love that says you can stand before an unjust system and resist it with all your might and yet maintain an attitude of active goodwill toward the perpetrators of that unjust system. So it goes on to say that the ethic of love can stand at the center of the nonviolent movement. In many instances, we've been able to stand before the most violent opponents and say in substance, we will meet your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We will meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will and we will still love you. Throw us in jail and we will still love you. Threaten our children and bomb our homes and our churches. And as difficult as it is, we will still love you. Send your hooded hooded perpetrators of violence into our communities at midnight hours and drag us onto some wayside road and beat us and leave us half dead. And as difficult as it is, we will still love you. But be assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. And one day we will win our freedom we will not only win our freedom for ourselves, we will so appeal to your heart and your conscience that we will win you in the process and our victory will be a double victory. So this bringing of the quality of love to action rather than hatred and in our practice, This soul force, this, this force of love to meet difficult experience can be so helpful. We can cultivate patience with the difficulties of practice. And the more mindful we get, the more we see them. You know, this is one of the ironies of our practice. It's not a mistake (laughs) when you see mindfulness revealing more suffering. It's not that the suffering wasn't there. It's that the mindfulness is revealing it. I think it was Trungpa Rinpoche that said practice is one insult after another. That's what it feels like. And so we can cultivate patience of our own minds. We've actually spent a lot of years cultivating our habits, our patterns of mind. We've practiced over and over again the ways that we react. Practiced over and over again. And so it's not surprising that... One three-month retreat or two weeks of a three-month or six-week retreat is not going to uproot a whole lifetime, if not multiple lifetimes, of habit. The first noble truth, understand dukkha. And for us in practice, this also means being patient with the cycles of practice. Pretty much most of the people I've talked to have had some form of cycle in the practice where there's been periods of ease and peace followed by periods of chaos and confusion and hindrance attacks. And this is part of the process. I think it was Sharon, or Sharon maybe, who, who talked about this as, you know, it's kind of like, she gave an analogy of um, r- firing a rocket. And you know, there's a lot of junk up in space. You know, there's a lot of like old satellites and parts of things that have just like, it's like, there's apparently a big garbage dump up there in space. And um, in order to fire a rocket, you need to know where all that stuff is. And then when there's a clear space, you can fire the rocket. So it's kind of like that, you know? It's like the mind moves into a space where there's clear clearness, perhaps, some ease, some peace. And parts of the um, psyche that haven't had their day in the sun yet are going, oh, my turn now! And then you have some new thing arise, some kind of reactivity. And so this is part of the process. One teacher, Michelle McDonald, called it the cycle of purity and purification. Purity and purification. It's a very natural part of this process. And so it's not a mistake when after a period of ease, it may feel more challenging or more difficult for a time. It's not a mistake. It's part of the natural unfolding of this process. And so, you know, there are times when it's challenging to be with those difficult states. I like one of... um, the Annaponica Terrace he's a a, a, he's now died but he was a a German uh, scholar monastic who worked for the Buddhist Publication Society and wrote many beautiful things and one phrase he had that just also resonates with me that it kind of is one of those mantras that comes back to me we aim for a peaceful penetration of the irrational regions of our mind that's a good description of patience a peaceful penetration of the irrational regions of our mind. We can think of Gandhi's non-passive, non-violent, non-cooperation with respect to working with these difficult states. Non-passive in that we meet these hindrances, actively meet what's happening when it's difficult. Non-violent in that we bring, try to bring a mind of kindness to that exploration and non-cooperation in that we don't let the hindrance just run amok running through the two kinds of impatience of impatience for pleasant things to happen impatience for unpleasant things to go away, is a deeper pattern of non-acceptance with just how things are in the present moment. And this connects with another aspect of patience, which is a deep kind of acceptance. Acceptance for things as they are. As we start to touch in and actually meet our experience, we see that what is here, what has arisen. You know, here it is. It's here. It's already here, this anger, this frustration, this joy, this boredom. It's here already. You can't change that. It's already here. And so there's a patience with meeting what's here and yet learning how to respond skillfully to shape the next moment of experience. And this meeting of moment to moment experience really begins to show us this unfolding. When we taste this quality of acceptance, we really start to understand the depth of patience, of of what it's capable of for us in our minds and hearts. Ajahn Sumedho says, it's a great relief to accept things the way they are because the only real misery is wanting them to see them in some other way. This is the, you know, again, pointing to this moment, this moment, what's already here, accepting what is already here. And with wisdom, choosing to step forward. It's, again, not about passivity, but about allowing through the, direct meeting of things as they are in this moment. As we meet things as they are, wisdom begins to emerge and wisdom helps us act. Wisdom is not passive. Wisdom acts for the benefit of ourself and others. So we can explore... This aspect of acceptance. But we cannot rush the process of change. You know, when the fruit is ripe, it will fall from the tree. Sometimes, after we've had some kind of an understanding or, or an insight, We've seen into something clearly in a moment. We have this little thought in our mind of, ah, figured that one out. I had that happen at one point at one early retreat when I was at Spirit Rock. I had a kind of shift of perspective around pain in my body. And uh, that shift of perspective allowed me to be completely okay with quite unpleasant sensation in my body. It was one of the first times, I think it maybe was the first time I really had seen the way a shift of the mind could allow physical sensation to be, unpleasant physical sensation to be experienced with ease. And the thought that went through my mind, <laughs> I laugh at this point, <laughs> it's like, wow, I'm glad I don't have to go through that again. I actually thought that I'd figured it out. <laughs> And so sometimes, you know, sometimes, many times, we have an insight, you know, that experience, that shift of perspective, of being able to meet the mind being at ease with unpleasant experience. That's a moment of insight. It's an understanding in the mind. It's a letting go of something. It's a letting go of craving things to be some other way. An actual releasing of that in the mind in the moment. Our insights aren't quite like knowledge that once we've learned them we can just like decide to pick them up. Oh yeah I'm having pain right now let me pick up that insight I had three weeks ago and put that on. It doesn't work that way. And so sometimes we have to have patience after we've had insights because insights are impermanent. Patience is actually needed at all points on the path. This quality of patience. And we may have had a, a, an insight into the uh, way the mind clings and grasps around pain and seen it release. And yet at another sitting, I remember, and I think I was sitting right about there, I was sitting with so much pain in the body, and so—and this was way after this insight I just described, so much dukkha, and I could feel the clinging, I could feel the mind just squeezing down around the pain, And and my mind basically said, I'd let go if I knew how, I'd let go if I knew what to let go of, how to let go of this. The mind was not in the place where it could do that in that moment. And so we have to meet that experience. This is also not a mistake. This is part of the way the, pa- the path works, the practice unfolds. At that point, the mind is learning about dukkha. It's not just something we say. You know, it's actually true. That as the mind really gets it, you know, part of what has to happen in the mind is it really understands that craving equals dukkha. At very, very deep levels, the mind has to understand this message over and over and over again. Some part of our mind just really wants there to be something, anything out there that we can hold on to that will make us happy. And we have to learn this lesson over and over again. And so the patience with that process of meeting dukkha over and over again, the mind begins to understand. It's like the mind begins to understand how to let go of it. In that, in that situation I described, I had no idea how to let go of that pain and could see that I had no idea. That's the kind of the the beginning of the insight that this isn't about me doing it. It's about cultivating the conditions for the releasing to happen, the understanding the wisdom to arise and the releasing to happen. And sometimes we think, if only we could get past all this dukkha and be in a state of ease or peace or bliss, that would be great. And so we do maybe at times start to feel happiness or ease or peace, calm, states of wholesome, beautiful states of mind coming. And we also begin to see I mean, we first th- might think, who would need patience with those? But over time, we might find that we start to like, think, well, what's next? Is it just about being calm? Is that what this is about? Is that what I signed up for? A life of everything being calm? Maybe we think, wow, is that what I want? Is that really it? The Buddha actually, one reflection the Buddha made Once he said, the way, this is a paraphrase, I don't have the actual quote, but something along the lines of, the way I found freedom was that I did not take, I wasn't satisfied with simply experiencing wholesome mind states. It's not just about experiencing wholesome mind states. And so sometimes we also need the patience to meet, this is calm, calm is happening, ease is happening, peace is happening, without the mind going, and where's, whatever it is that I'm expecting, some kind of like mind-blowing enlightenment, I mean, where's that? Calm is like this, peace is like this, ease is like this. There's a uh, saying in Burma, patience is the road to Nibbana. It is through this quality of patient willingness to meet experience, whatever that experience is, to meet pleasant experience, unpleasant experience, neutral experience, to meet change in many forms, to meet dukkha. This willingness to be patiently in the moment. And it is, it's a patience that's right in this moment. That is a quality that allows the unfolding of the practice to lead to freedom. Let's just sit for a moment.